Well, hello again. This is Mary Caprio providing for her University of St. Thomas students through the coronavirus pandemic some online um, resources for their content for teachings of the Catholic Church. We are on the sacraments and we are now going to be covering confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation. And I will also make these available on my website, marycaprio.com, for those who would like to um, learn as well. So what is confirmation? Confirmation is one of the sacraments of initiation, and it's the sacrament that completes baptismal grace. It is in the sacrament of confirmation that the baptized are more perfectly bound to the church and are enriched with a special strength of the Holy Spirit. They are then, as true witnesses of Christ, more strictly obliged to spread and defend the faith by word and deed. And so in confirmation, you know, what the young adult is really saying is that this is no longer just my parents' faith, but this is my faith. You know, much like the people who heard the woman at the well's story of Jesus when she said, I met a man who told me everything about myself. And they believed her. They said, wow, we, we want to see this. She, think, she said, he told me he is the Messiah, and he did. And, and after they met Jesus, they said, we no longer believe because of your word, but we have heard him ourselves. And that's really what the Confirmande is saying, that I believe because I too have encountered the Lord. And so confirmation completes baptismal grace, and it does so through the outpouring and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit complete what baptism began, because remember, baptism washed away original sin, but we still have this woundedness that we talked about. We still have this inclination to sin. And so what the gifts of the Holy Spirit do is that they help to enlighten the intellect and strengthen the will. Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are wisdom, understanding, counsel, and then to strengthen the will, we receive things like fortitude, piety, fear of the Lord. And so these things are gifts that are given to us that strengthen our capacity to live and love the way we're called to be. Confirmation more perfectly bonds the person to the church we're enriched with the special strength of the Holy Spirit, and we become true witnesses to the work of Christ. Now, the Old Testament does prepare us for confirmation. You know, we hear in Isaiah that the saving power of the Lord would rest on the hoped-for Messiah for his saving mission. And we see this, right? We see the saving power of the Lord that rests on Jesus in his baptism, in his transfiguration. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, we hear that this Holy Spirit is going to be communicated to the whole Messianic people. It says, a new heart I will give you and a new spirit I will put within you. See, this is what the sacraments do. They work from within. They transform our hearts. They give us the power to respond well to all of the circumstances of our lives. And then in Joel, we hear this. Then afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. 
And that's what Christ has done in his church. He has, he has provided access to all of us to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the fullness of the Spirit is, is not just to remain with Christ. I mean, that wouldn't, that wouldn't help. That wouldn't help, you know, the rebirth of the entire world. But it's meant for the entire people, for the, all the nations, not just um, the Israelites, not just the Jews, um, but for the whole world. Now, the visible sign of confirmation is the oil and the laying on of hands. The chrism oil um, is, is very, um, very important, and it, and it gives us some significations. Remember, a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality, so it, it does what it looks like it does. So what does, what does oil normally do? Well, oil oftentimes has signified the gift of the Holy Spirit. Think about when David was anointed. The Spirit of God rushed upon him when he was anointed um, by the prophet. And so oil itself signifies the gift of the Spirit. It also signifies healing, and healing occurs in, in confirmation. We, we continue to be healed um, by the power of God as he continues to transform us um, from the inside out. Um, this chrism oil highlights the name Christian um, because remember, Christ wasn't Jesus's first name, right? It means the chosen one, it means the anointed one, and that's what we become in our confirmation. Now there is a difference in the way um, the Catholic Eastern and Western churches um, adhere to the sacraments of initiation. The Eastern churches um, tend to baptize, confirm, and provide Eucharist in one, at one time when the child is, is baptized. So when the child's baptized, they receive a touch of the precious blood on their lips, and they're also confirmed. And so their early years is really spent catechizing, you know, and getting ready then to receive the Eucharist on a regular basis. But they're given all of the sacraments of initiation at the beginning. And that was in an effort to keep kind of us understanding that these three sacraments really do belong together, that they, um, they work together. Baptism first and then confirmation and Eucharist um, are, are critical to the sacraments of initiation. In the Western church, we really wanted to express not just the unity of the sacraments, but more the unity of, of the bishop with his people. And so because the bishop couldn't be there for every baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist, we separated the sacraments. And then the bishop would travel and he would, he would come to different areas and then confirm um, kids as they had gotten older. Um, and so this is kind of how the sacraments got separated. Now we do have some dioceses, and even in the United States, that have returned to that original order and um, are now baptizing confirming and providing Eucharist um, to their babies. I think Denver Archdiocese does this. Um, and so, um, so anyway, it's, it's an interesting, interesting um, phenomenon. Now the word confirmation kind of reminds us that we are being confirmed as a child of God, that we are the anointed one as Jesus was. And confirmation, the sacrament, really, really should only be administered by the bishop, and that is for Catholic Christians. So for every Catholic Christian that is confirmed, the bishop wants to be present. He wants to remind you that he is your pastor, um, that he is your shepherd. 
Um, and so he, he wants to put his hands on all of his Catholics that were baptized um, in the church. Now, for those that come into the church from a different denomination, um, our local pastors are actually given the faculties um, to confirm. So we'll see at our Easter vigil that, you know, folks that have come from another uh, tradition, Christian tradition, are confirmed by our local pastors. And so those faculties have been given to them. Okay, so what are the signs of the rite of confirmation? What happens in the rite of confirmation and what do these signs and rites mean? First of all, there's an anointing and we talked about that already. There's an anointing and this, this really signifies that another spiritual seal is given to the one who is confirmed. Um, and so again, there are certain sacraments which provide an indelible spiritual mark. And there's three of those. The first is baptism, as we've talked about. The second is confirmation. And the last indelible spiritual mark that is given is if a man receives the sacrament of holy orders. And he too is marked with an indelible spiritual mark. Now this chrism oil re reflects a couple of different things. We've talked about the fact that it reflects being anointed and it certainly reflects being healed, but it also reflects joy and abundance, joy and abundance, that we are receiving the gift of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It also signifies that you now radiate with beauty, health, and strength. Because if you think about it, think about like athletes, and maybe, maybe not as much now, although I, I do see it. Athletes often put on their muscles to enhance them and make them larger and more beautiful um, with oil, right? So that they can, sh they can radiate and they can, they can show their beauty and their health and their strength. And, and that's another signification of oil. And so oil used um, in the rite of confirmation signifies spiritual seal, joy and abundance, healing and beauty, health and strength. It's a sign of consecration. We share more completely in the mission of Christ, the aroma of Christ. You see the chrism oil actually is, is treated with a beautiful balsam. And so it's, there's a beautiful smell um, when someone is anointed um, with chrism. And so, um, so this anointing um, really seals or marks the one who is being confirmed. Now, I think it's interesting where we get this sacred chrism. The sacred chrism is actually consecrated on Holy um, Thursday. Now, we usually celebrate Holy Thursday on Tuesday of the week of Holy Week, but every year the bishop blesses the oils that are used in his diocese. We are an archdiocese, so when Cardinal DiNardo gets together with all of his priests and the faithful, because we're all welcome to do that if there's not a coronavirus, um, we go to the co-cathedral and, you know, the cardinal will bless the oils. And the chrism oil is blessed. The oil of the catechumens is blessed. And then the oils for the anointing of the sick are also blessed. And then that oil is distributed throughout the archdiocese to all the churches. And so we are again bound to our cardinal through his blessing and consecration of the sacred chrism. 
Now, when one is confirmed, there's a prayer of confirmation that is made over them, and it's by the bishop, and he will basically trace the sign of the cross with the chrism oil on the confirmande's head and say, be sealed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the confirmande will say, amen. And then um, he will say, peace be with you. And the bishop will say, or the, the confirmande will say, and with your spirit. Um, again, confirmation should happen in the context of a mass. We do the liturgy of the word. We do um, the confirmation right after the homily. And then we go into the liturgy of the Eucharist. And so, um, so very important that we celebrate um, confirmation in the way that it was intended. Now, who can receive confirmation? Well, every baptized person who is yet to be confirmed can receive confirmation. If they are, in fact, an adult, um, they will complete RCIA um, if they haven't been, um, you know, baptized as a Catholic. Um, if they're just a, a Catholic who's in his middle school or high school years and is um, wanting to be confirmed, then he would go through a preparation process, which is usually about two years in order to be confirmed. And he is prepared um, for what it means um, to be fully initiated as a confirmande um, in the Catholic Church. The minister of confirmation, as I mentioned, is a bishop. A priest may be given faculties to do so. A lot of times I, I hear the question, you know, where do we find confirmation in sacred scripture? And it's, it's a beautiful question. Um, it's actually found in a couple of different places. Um, Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, we hear that um, there are some that, that actually received um, the baptism of John, um, but they never received the Holy Spirit. And so this is when the apostles then laid hands on these folks and the Spirit of God came upon those who had already been baptized with the baptism of our Lord. And so it was a separate laying on of hands. I'm going to go ahead and cover the Eucharist because that was only 15 minutes. So I'm going to go ahead and, and cover, um, gosh, our, our blessed sacrament, the Eucharist. Confirmation completes baptism and the Eucharist completes Christian initiation. The person that now receives the Eucharist, is now able to share with the whole community in the Lord's own sacrifice. And we have to be clear, you know, Jesus instituted this, and he did so at the Last Supper. And he went through the rite that we continue to use even today. This is my body given for you. This is my blood given for you. And then he says at the Last Supper, do this in memory of me. And so we continue to do what Christ has done. The name Eucharist tells us much about what we are receiving. Eucharist itself means thanksgiving. And that's what we're doing. We're giving thanks in the Eucharist. We're giving thanks to God because everything we have, we have received. It's called the Lord's Supper because this is where our Lord instituted the sacrament. It's called the breaking of the bread because, of course, that's what Christ does. But it's also in the story of the road to Emmaus where they recognize the Lord in the breaking of the bread. Their hearts are burning within them when Jesus is telling them the story of salvation history. 
but they still don't recognize the Lord. It is only in the breaking of the bread that they recognize that Jesus is Lord, and then he disappears. And so, ladies and gentlemen, we need more than just the word. We need his body. We need his blood. And so it is in the breaking of the bread that we can see and receive the whole Christ. It's called the Eucharistic Assembly because when we receive the Lord, we're not just in union with him. We're in union with the body of Christ. We become one body in the Lord because we're in the Lord. We call it the memorial of the Lord's passion and resurrection because that's what it is. He said, do this in memory of me. And he didn't just mean to remember. He meant make it present. And that's what happens in the Eucharistic sacrifice. It's called the holy and divine liturgy because it is the whole church who participates in every Eucharistic celebration and sacrifice. The angels, the saints, our guardian angels, the living and the dead who died in friendship with the Lord are present at every Eucharistic assembly. It's called the most blessed sacrament because it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord. And so it is in the Eucharist that we receive everything that Christ is. And it's called the Holy Mass um, because, again, we're celebrating the memorial of his passion, his death, and his resurrection. The signs of the sacrament of the Eucharist are bread and wine, right? So the visible sign is the bread and the wine. The invisible reality is that it becomes his body and his blood. And so the church continues to do what the Lord did at the Last Supper. The offering of the bread and the wine signify the goodness of creation. We give thanks to the creator for the bread and the wine, the fruit of the work of human hands. The church sees the prefigurement of her offering in the offering of the priest Melchizedek, who brought out bread and wine in the book of Genesis 14, 18. Bread and wine receive a new significance in the context of the Exodus story, the unleavened bread that Israel eats every year at Passover. It commemorates the haste of the departure that liberated them from Egypt. It we remember the manna in the desert. It always reminds us that we live by the bread of the word of God. Our daily bread is the fruit of the bread of the promised land, the pledge of God's faithfulness to his promises. The cup of blessing at the end of the Jewish Passover meal adds to the festive joy of wine, an eschatological dimension, the messianic expectation of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. When the Eucharist was instituted, there was given a new dimension to the blessing of the bread and the cup. You see, the Eucharist is the fulfillment of the Passover meal. You see, when the, the Israelites marked their doors with the blood of the unblemished male lamb, they are saved by the blood of the lamb. And the angel of the Lord passes over them. We too are saved by the blood of the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We, we receive his body and his blood and we are saved 
by the blood of the Lamb. It becomes his body and blood, and we partake of the Eucharist. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in me. And they said, How can he say this? How can he say such a thing? That is horrendous. That is an abomination. That is ridiculous. And many of his disciples walked away. But Jesus did not change the language. He said to his disciples, will you walk away too? Peter says the words of everlasting life. To whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of everlasting life. They did not completely understand what Jesus had said, what Jesus had done. But they followed him because they knew that he was the bread of life. We're given prefigurements in the New Testament for the Eucharist. The miracle of the multiplication of fish and loaves prefigure the abundance of this unique bread of his Eucharist. He says the blessing breaks it and distributes the loaves through his disciples to feed the multitude just as our priest does in the Mass. The sign of the water turned to wine at Cana already announces the hour of Jesus' glorification. It makes present the fulfillment of the wedding feast in the Father's kingdom, where the faithful will drink the new wine, which has become the blood of Christ. The first announcement of the Eucharist divided the disciples, just as the announcement of the Passion scandalized them. This is a hard saying. Who? can listen to it. In the institution of the Eucharist, Jesus fulfills his promise that he would always be with us. As a memorial of his love in the Mass, he always is. It also constitutes the, the apostles as priests. In Acts 2.42, we hear this about the early church. And they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. This is what they did in the early church. And they did it on the first day of the week. Acts 2.20, on the first day of the week, they celebrated this new creation that they've been given in the person of Christ. That's why we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. It is the new Sabbath. And we find um, this structure of the Mass actually pretty close to what they did in the early church. If, if we read St. Justin Martyr, who was actually an early church father and a great saint in the second century, um, he talks about what happens in the Mass as he's explaining it to one of the emperors of the time. Because there was a lot of gossip about how Catholic Christians were cannibals. They were doing weird things at their, their Eucharistic celebration. And so St. Justin Martyr goes through the order of the Mass in his letter to this emperor. 
He talks about how we ask for forgiveness of our sins at the beginning of our celebration, which is the penitential rite. When we say, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, and we call to mind our sins. He said, then we read the holy letters of God. We have the liturgy of the word, right? We read from the Old Testament. We read from the New Testament. We read the gospel. And then he says, the presider or the presbyter or the priest gets up then and prays the prayers over the bread and the wine. And then communion is administered. And then we bring the holy bread to those who could not make it to worship services, all of which we continue to do today. And so the Mass is a single act of worship. We have the Liturgy of the Word, we have the Liturgy of the Eucharist, but they belong together because it is in both that we can see the whole Christ. Now, we're called to prepare for this gift that we receive on Sunday. And we should do so by examining our conscience. Are we in a, a state of grace where we can actually receive the Lord? And if we're not, we need to go to confession. And so make sure that if we've committed a serious sin, we need to confess it. If we miss mass, that's a serious sin. We need to confess it. And we need to be made whole. We should fast for one hour prior to receiving the Eucharist. That reminds us of how we should be hungering for God. Our bodily demeanor, our clothing should reflect what we're actually doing, which is receiving the Lord in his body and his blood. And so are we dressed appropriately? Do we come forward with reverence? Do we make a throne of our hands to receive the Lord? Do we bow with our head before we receive? And then do we spend time in prayer as the Lord is within us. There are basic precepts of the church which ask the, the, the faithful to receive the Eucharist at least once a year. Now that doesn't mean we just go to Mass once a year. It means that we receive the Eucharist at least once a year. Now we are privileged to receive the Eucharist every day if we want. Now this is why this, in this time, in the coronavirus time, it's so difficult, right? Because we're unable to receive the Lord even on Sunday. I mean, I, I received communion the day before the edict came down and I'm already missing the Lord because I'm spoiled by daily Eucharist. But the precepts of the church ask the faithful to receive the Eucharist at least once a year, but as much as you can, if in fact you are in a state of grace and are able to do so. What are the fruits of Holy Communion? Well, they bond us. Holy Communion bonds us, augments our union with Christ. We're already in Christ through our baptism. We are confirmed in Christ. We are anointed son and daughter of, of the King. But when we receive the Eucharist, we are one with Christ. If we have venial sins or smaller sins on our soul, it separates us from them. We are unified with the whole mystical body of Christ. We are one with Christ and everyone else who is in him. And we pray that someday there will be a unity in the Eucharist between all Christians. And so my friends, the Eucharist is the blessed sacrament. It is the sacrament which is the fullness of Christ's promise to us. We are one with him when we receive the Eucharist. And so 
it is such a blessed sacrament. And so we must worship it because it is him. We must recognize that it is the source and the summit of our faith. It's the source because it is God and it's the summit because it's our destiny. And so take heart. Very soon um, we will be receiving the blessed sacrament again. But for now, we must make avail ourselves of the spiritual communion that is present. And so we must watch the Mass on TV, listen to it on the radio, and we must make a spiritual communion in these um, very difficult times in which we're unable to receive the Eucharist. So thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.